You're listening to the Games Shoot Up This Podcast. I'm James Bachelor, and this week I am joined by Brandon Sinclair and Jeffrey Russo. We're going to be talking about the biggest stories of the year. Uh, rather than a weekly kind of roundup, uh, you know, it's December, news is somewhat quieter at this time of year. Um, he says that on the day, rec- <laughs> at the time of recording, we're still waiting to hear the FTC's decision on Microsoft versus Activision. So Laura of the Sod says, by the time this episode comes out, actually, massive news has broken. But at this current point in time, when we are recording, Monday the 5th of December, News is relatively quiet, so what we thought we'd do with this episode is take a look back at 2022 as a year, as a year for the business, took a kind of the biggest stories, biggest trends, this is not necessarily going to be comprehensive, but more the kind of stuff that sticks out in our mind when we think about how the business of video games has gone this year. Um, We are going to have another Playable Futures interview next week, uh, so next Friday, and then the following year will be our Games of the Year show, so that'll be when we actually discuss individual titles and our thoughts on them. This is more kind of business side of things, the, the very kind of GI review of 2022. I'm going to start by pulling a few facts from uh, This Week in Business, which is Brendan's excellent column that I assume you all read every Friday. Um, you did a really interesting analysis of uh, whether or not 2022 has been a bad year for new games. So in your intro, intro you summed this up quite nicely. Like There are kind of two narratives at the moment. There is the narrative that sales are down, compared to 2021 a lot of kind of revenues for both kind of publishers but also kind of um you know retail revenue revenues and like you know sales trackers are saying you know sale you know game sales are down year on year compared to 2021 and then there's the narrative that it's been a very slow year for releases in terms of the number of big games that have hit and come out and have done really well you through the power of math have if not disproved both of these, at least argued against them brilliantly. Um, and I do encourage people to kind of have a read, a read of the, the proper, the full article. Um, I'm going to pull a few stats, if I may. So, first of all, we're looking at the first 10 months, um, primarily based on the MPD group, so North America's, um, oh no, the US, US's retail and, uh, and digital sales. Uh, according to the MPD group, the first 10 months, because at the time you wrote this, November wasn't available, so January to October, total US game spending over the first 10 months of 2022 was 7% down compared to 2021, so at $42.7 billion. But if you compare that to 2019, which I think everyone, you know, the industry, not just the industry, the world has taken as the last normal year, and I'm putting air quotes around normal there, which doesn't come across on a podcast, I'm aware, but... The last normal year, we're actually 37% up. US spending on games for the first 10 months of 2022 is 37% up on 2019. So the industry is still bigger than it was prior to the pandemic, which obviously gave us that massive spike in 2020. We're even bigger than we were in 2020. Now we're up 14% on, yeah. on where 2020 was at this time. So it's like, yes, things are down. Um for for the year so far but that's just compared to like an obscene record 2021 and um and that's you know with a larger economic climate that is concerning (laughs) and uh and what people say is a a relatively weak year for new releases and that was the you know the, the second part of the um, the column, the bulk of it, really was looking looking at that assessment of whether or not it's it's been 
that bad a year for new releases. And I think a lot of us can kind of, um, you know, just generally look at it and say, yeah, and it hasn't, hasn't been great. I mean, Elden Ring was huge. Um, no complaints there. That was massive for everyone. But, but since then, um, it seems like we've got some, you know, I don't, I don't want to insult them by calling them second tier releases, but they're, they're hits in the sense of like what they show up in their launch month and they hang around the charts and drop down over a couple of months. And then they just sort of disappear from the top 20. Um, they're not the, you know, well, this will be in the top 10 for the next five years running kind of hits. So what I figured I would do is, is look at the, how many new releases were in the top 10 and the top 20 in the MPD figures uh, over the course of the first 10 months of the year. And this doesn't tell us, you know, the relative sales uh, of, of them because uh, we, MPD does not publicize that information, but it, it at least gives us an indication as to whether the games industry is producing new games that are compelling relative to all the currently existing games on the market. And by that metric, 2022 has actually been pretty good. It's not quite back up to the uh, pre-pandemic years, but it's it's pretty close and it's much better than 2021 and much better than 2020. Yeah, I was impressed by the, like, the list of new games that came out this year because actually you scroll through it and you, and Brendan has, of course, listed every single title individually on this article, which is, is you know, quite right. And it's quite an interesting list. James, if you write like, a weekly yeah. column like this, you need padding. <laughs> you need to make it seem so much longer than what you actually have to say. Most people go with images, but you bullet points. I like it. Um, no, but but equally, if you're saying like there's these forty two lists, these forty two items, sorry, forty two games that came out this year, like it makes sense to list them all. Kind of, there's so no one can kind of you know call BS as it were. You look at the lineup. Actually, like it's it has been a solid lineup for games this year. I'm I'm just I'm just scrolling. I'm not going to read all forty two. Panic not, listeners. But like looking in terms of. The games that have come out and been have been critically acclaimed as well as sold well. Elden Ring, obviously, but Pokemon Legends Arceus that has sold well. That's done. That did really well for the franchise. Horizon Forbidden West was um, well received. Gran Turismo Seven, as far as I'm aware, was well received. Lots of people like the Kirby game, Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Um, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands was a bit of a miss from what I remember, but Lego Star Wars Skywalker Saga, that was well-reviewed. Uh, Nintendo Switch Sports, that has become one of those typical Nintendo evergreen titles that continues to sell, that continues to shop con- uh, shift consoles. Um, multiverses, I, the amount of people that have been talking about multiverses this year that I, I eventually caved and I actually tried and downloaded it and tried it the other week ago, it's it's a good game. I can see that being a solid hit for Warner Brothers for the years to come, hopefully. Um, FIFA and Call of Duty, as you point out in your column, both did better than their predecessors. The Last of Us Part 1 came out. That's already a criti- critically acclaimed game, but I've seen enough people arguing that, no, this wasn't an unnecessary remake. This is genuinely a great version of the game, and I'm glad it's out. Um, Mario Rabbit Sparks of Hope did better than its, in, than its original. 
like there are enough examples there that actually yeah this has been a solid and that's just the t first 10 months like you know this has been a a decent year for video games in terms of the number of video games that come out but also the quality of those videos there's games. probably a bunch um, in your so blind spots too like just looking at this list i i discovered that there were games called soul hackers 2 digimon survive and uh dragon ball the breakers and star ocean the divine force and I, I I know like Dragon Ball and Star Ocean and Digimon. I know those franchises. I did not know these games were coming out. Um, it's it says something I I think to have you know there are the obvious highlights that you that you pointed out. There's there's a really good variety of of games on this list. Even things like the retro Ninja Turtles Cowabunga collection. Are, are on here um, and and it's it's a really deep lineup of of games that might not be i mentioned this in the article 2020 had very few of these games in like the top 10 but so many of them were kind of the instant classic the the things that you think of when you think of like oh it's been a great year for big games you know 2020 had animal crossing new horizons Final Fantasy VII Remake, Spider-Man Miles Morales, Last of Us Part Two, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Like, those are all really big games. But overall, like, 2020 was a, a clear low point for the industry in, in um, NPD new releases that made the charts. There were, like, 22, I think, that made the top 10 in that year. And that's, you know, 2019 had 38, 39. It was, it was almost double getting close to double of, of the number of like big games that came out, even if 2020 was not as robust in terms of quantity, but like really nailed the quality level of it. Hmm. It's also worth mentioning, and you mentioned blind spots, these figures being from the MPD only take into account primarily you know retail so physical retail but also like digital stores but like the 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 larger games you're not finding here kind of those small indie hits that take off you know there's no word here of vampire survivors or uh, V Rising is another one I've heard really good things about this year like those 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 small those games that seemingly come out of nowhere and have developers talking about how interesting they are, how engaging they are. Like, we've seen a few of those this, this year, as, as as usual. So, like, it, that that also suggests, like, this has been, yeah, not a terrible year in terms of games. Yeah, these out. NPD numbers, they, they have the sales data from, a, like, a publisher's panel uh, for digital mm. stuff. And if the publisher is not participating in that panel, they're generally not going to show up uh in in the numbers and it's it's uh, i think it's about 15 to 20 companies and most of like the the really big names are there uh nintendo does not participate so all their chart rankings are done just based solely on physical sales i think it also speaks to the fact that um when we look at this year uh and those releases and what what did and didn't chart I think it also uh, speaks to the fact that other than that, when, when someone says, well, what, what games released this year, you know, it can be kind of disproven with the fact of, have you taken a look at 
what's been selling. Um, but also, you know, I, I, I think about another narrative that came up is like the quote unquote concern about games getting delayed, which I've always found, um, rather funny because re- re- regardless of the fact of, um, if it does, um, does release or, you know, take some time, eventually we're going to see what comes about that. And, you know, I, I still think, think of two cases where we've had, um, the Saints or reboot and the newest Pokemon. These are games that have sold, but, you know, they did launch with, um, you know, some, some concerns with, um, performance, um, in the games themselves. And, Eventually, you know, patches are going to come down the line or have come, but, but still, you know, they sold well enough. So there's also that. I think there's, that's, that's to consider as well. It's like whether or not it's getting delayed six months or, or a year, what have you. And I remember like there was like a notable like chunk in the year where it was like, I don't want to say panic, but it was like, Oh, we're getting all these delays as, as if we've never had a year where like a number of games have been announced. Hey, this is just getting pushed back as if that's a problem because games are still being sold. People are still buying it. new games are still being released in charting just fine, you know, despite something that always happens. So I've always found that funny, uh, especially. And I wanted to bring that up while we were on that subject, uh, about what some, because, um, and and I really do like to point out to Saints Row because that did come out where it 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 was it was something that was mentioned in reviews, but again, it's it's sold pretty well. You know, it's performing well. And of course we just had a Pokemon which despite its issues, it sold however many units. Um I wanna say uh you know what, I'm I'm not gonna get that figure. <laughs> right. So you could just head out. Ten. Over over ten million units, fastest selling Pokemon. Okay, game thank you. See? right and and um and then you know they just released a patch as they're slowly trying to work those issues and they said hey you know we apologize for games but regardless of the fact that's just it starting right it we're not even into a month we just have no idea yet so again um that i've always found that particularly interesting when it comes to this conversation as well because games are going to come out. Um, they may not be quote unquote perfect, but they're going to hit their performance. And every year, it, it's always a case of. Uh, not, I don't think it's so much what's coming out this year, but rather you know just wait and see. I I, I think is also something that Brandon's uh, article talks about as well. I I think a lot of how that kind of narrative about this year being um, a, a weak year. And, and I mean, like that, that feels right. Like to me anyways, it's felt, it, it has felt like it's been a weak year of releases. And a lot of that I think was just due to expectations because I did expect the Zelda um, Breath of the Wild sequel. I did expect Starfield to come out. Um, And, and to have those delayed took two of the, the, the games that I'm most interested in and had been interested in Zelda in particular for years and, and pushed them out 
of of the year around the you know in the in the same uh, stretch of time and it was just kind of like oh that's incredibly disappointing and then i look around at everything else and it just kind of feels like yeah but this is yeah. but then i go back and i look at the top 20 games of 2021 i'm looking at the npd chart right now and this strikes me as a pretty weak field it leads off with um, two Call of Duties, Vanguard in number one, which, you know, horribly underperformed what Call of Duty does, I guess. Um, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War was second, which was a 2020 release. Madden NFL 22. Okay, sure. It's Madden. Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. Uh, it's Pokemon, but it's it's a remake of old Pokemon games. I don't I don't think it was as meaningful to Pokemon fans as Sword and Shield or uh, Violet and Scarlet. Um, it wasn't the thing that got people hyped for Pokemon. Uh, Battlefield 2042, another disappointment, right? Uh, in sixth spot was Spider-Man Miles Morales, 2020 game, Mario Kart 8, a 2017 game and then resident evil village and there in the eighth spot we've hit the first game on this list that i'm like oh yeah that was a highlight of the year right like everything else is either annualized stuff or it's just kind of like yeah it's nice i guess but it's not really what we want and then mlb the show 21 super mario 3d world which is it's great but it was great on the Wii U. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that like that's one game in the top 10 as, as I look. Uh, I, I will interrupt. I will interrupt you there. Bowser's fury, the add on for the, the, the additional game mode game thing in the super Mario 3d world was superb, but yes, I see your overall point. Like, yeah, it's, 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 it's another port of a Wii U. I look, I look through the back um, half of the top 20 and it's like far cry six, is in there and back for yeah. blood and uh is that it forza horizon 5 was mortal kombat 11 2021 or was that 2020 2021 i think no uh, that's no, even that's that's older that that? that's like 2019 yeah yeah okay so so it's like there was very little actually from 2021 mm. that made the top 20 sellers list last year and it's I mean, Resident Evil Village gets full marks from what I can tell, but everything else seemed to be underwhelming in, in some way, shape, or form, um, or just another annualized entry. So it's like that struck me as a weak year. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Like last year was definitely weaker than this year in terms of the output of the industry. Like, but I think the was it because expectations for last of- year were low. Because I, I, yeah, because yeah, people knew that it's, it's, it's I, I feel like the last few years we've, we've gone into December saying like, wow, next year could be the biggest year ever for games. So this is what I was, this is what I was about to say. Like, like, you know, I remember like this time last year, yes, 2021 had a weaker release slate, but it was okay because there was this, op- we were ending the year on the op- this optimism of, as you say, it's the expectations of our, but next year we're going to have Elden Ring and Zelda and Starfield. And of those three, we got one. Like, you know, there have been, there have been enough significant delays over the last few years 
and then those two particular titles this year that here we are en- ending the year it's like hey next year's gonna be great because Zelda and Starfield and like it feels like we're waiting for the same things again we're still waiting for whatever whatever it is that this that we are collectively subconsciously waiting as to be the moment that the industry picks up again or meets the expectation that we all have but can't quite seem to quantify like it feels like we're back there again I guess like the 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 spirit somewhat tempered like this time last year okay weekish release you know year for game releases but next year is going to be amazing this year it's okay feels like a weak year for games but next year is going to be good because we're still waiting for certain titles oh but you know those titles were you know were delayed maybe they got delayed I, I can't imagine they'll be delayed again but also you've got the the mood of the macroeconomic situa- situation of you know yes these games may come out how well will they sell if people are yeah. you know a, a much more cautious with their spending you know I've no doubt. I've no doubts that Starfield and Zelda, in particular, will sell well. But all the other games that are coming out next year, like Hogwarts Legacy, I think that was meant to come out this year. That's now doing delayed to next year. Like, and that's you know Harry Potter. That's likely to sell particularly well. But will it? If people, I did. I do this. I don't want to go too far down the whole. We're in the face of a recession slash in the midst of a recession because we did that a few episodes back. So I don't want to kind of repeat the conversation. But my point is, there is this general air of apprehension. From my perspective, there's a general air of apprehension because of kind of the 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 wider economic situation. Well, the um, the switch is also it's late in the lifespan now, right? I mean. We are, we're five full years. We're, we're going to be six full years in March. And Nintendo has released kind of all of its major franchises that it often does one a generation. And they haven't announced much of a lineup for next year beyond Zelda. Um, so there's, there's some question, I think, as, as to whether people will keep buying Switches. And if those new people that keep buying Switches uh, will be enough to kind of keep buying Mario Kart 8 Deluxe <laughs> the way they have to keep that in the top 10 uh, list every month. Uh, so there's, like, I, I think the reasons to be concerned about the future of the industry, uh, they're still there. Um, but at least, like, console generation cycles is sort of it's it's a much more known risk and the greater economy is a risk that like it's going to do what it's going to do and you're just along for the ride uh you can you can work around it to some extent through smart management but it's you're at its mercy sort of the thing that you can control is the game industry it is whether or not you're making new games that people want to buy. And I find it encouraging that throughout 2021, even though sales were down, the industry was still making a lot of games that people wanted to buy and chose to buy over the existing assortment of many of them games as a service forever games um, that, that they had the option of going with instead. So that's, Game developers and publishers are kind of 
that strikes me as a sign that they're doing uh, what's in their power to do here so that they will uh, survive whatever downturn is coming in as reasonable and healthy a shape as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, I, I think just taking a step back and looking at the list of games that you noted, even though um, a good number of those are from well-established franchises, but the games themselves are, you know, fresh, new, uh, different takes. You have Kirby, you have um, Digimon Survive, Stranger of Paradise. You know, these are from existing franchises, but they have different spins on things. Mario plus Rabbids, you know, um, Ghostwire Tokyo, that's just brand, brand new, brand new. Um things of that nature but yeah i i think it still speaks to the fact that even though there is the sector of the market that still have you know games as service and games are just going to be you know just going um there, there's still new games coming out that that are worth being excited for you know and, and sequels um of course I, i'd be remiss to not mention god of war that's something new and big right um it came out this year so yeah I, th- I think the market's uh, quite, quite healthy. Um, and there's little reason to be quote unquote concerned. I'm going to divert us slightly from looking solely at the games, the products that are being released and look at the industry in general. What is it that for you, if you look back on 2022, you'll think you're going to remember this as the year of, as it were, you know, as, as the bigger things of the year. I would like to start, if I may, with this obviously has you know the risk of plucking the low hanging fruit out of the tree this has been the year of more m- more significant mna activity than i ever remember being in a single year i don't remember a single year where you had mergers and acquisitions on the scale of take two buying zynga microsoft proposing to buy activision blizzard sony buying bungie embracer buying buying crystal dynamics idos montreal square Enix montreal and then all the ip tomb raider thief deus ex legacy of kane for a pittance um they've doubtless been uh, netflix has built like you know perhaps not significant studios but netflix has, has acquired something like five or six studios this year trying to build up its own games operations like i don't remember many years where we've seen this many aside from the occasional you know Embracer have announced their financial results and also we've bought 14 other studios like in terms of the wider industry and the size of of companies that have been bought the I kind of the the, the status of the, the companies that have been bought I don't recall a year like this yeah 2021 was big but then just starting off in January with like uh Activision Blizzard and and Take 2 Zynga like I, I feel like this is the um, has been the end of the acquisition phase, uh, just because you look at the the share prices of all these gaming companies from like last November, and compare them to now, and they're a shadow of their former selves. <laughs> just like across the industry, whether a company is performing well or not seems to be irrelevant. They're almost certainly going to be trading down. Um, and and what we what we saw this year as far as acquisitions seems to be 
the you know the, the echoes of the 2021 push. A lot of what you mentioned happened super early in the year. Uh, by the time we got to the Square Enix Western Studios, um, the the bloom was off the rose, I guess, and the the acquisition price kind of speaks to that because uh, the the deals that were that were floating around in 2021 uh, with the you know constantly escalating you know numbers and premium over above and beyond the shareholder you know the share price um like that that i think tapered off the frenzy is over um and what we saw this year especially as we got a little bit later into the year um those those i think became a lot more about value pickups people that realized they had missed the wave the time to sell was a few months ago but now is still maybe better than you know they we've seen the recession coming for a while so they they maybe were trying to to have their exit sooner rather than later um yeah so like i i think the acquisition spree is uh functionally over at this point and 2022 will it it might uh eclipse all previous years for this this total number you know total amount of money in in mergers and acquisitions but like i I don't actually think of it as like a defining feature of 2022, just because so much of it was concentrated in the early half of it, and and 2021 was just no. like start to finish. There was that that steady drumbeat of everyone's getting acquired, even if none of them came anywhere close to like the Activision Blizzard deal, or I'm not sure if many of them even reached like the, the Zynga deal. Sorry. No, I guess I guess I'm more. Th- I, you're right. I, the money was nowhere near as big for the M and A deals last year, and like, and and we are somewhat skewed by. I mean, I I remember almost dismissing any kind of report I see about oh, a record year for M and A deals. With like, and there'd be like a figure. Like you'd get press releases where your know, record year for M and A deals you know continues, and there'd be like a massive figure. And it's like yeah, but I know, I know that. $69 billion of that is the proposed Activision um, acquisition that hasn't even gone through yet. So I know, I know we get distracted and, and, and slightly skewed by the, the figures, but even then, like, you know, the, the, it's the nature of the acquisitions, I think, that feel more significant yeah. to me this year rather than last year. Particularly if Microsoft actually... They were all shocking. Yeah, exactly. There, was a much more, there were more shocking ones this year. Like, if Microsoft Activision goes through... As we've covered on the site before, that change and and as is being discussed a lot in regulators around the world right now, that dis, that changes the dynamic of the industry because the biggest the biggest franchise for premium games for AAA games is owned by one company. That changes things. Take two buying Zynga, less of an impact, but still does bring the publisher of the company that owns the biggest entertainment product of all time into the mobile space, which they haven't had as big a presence of. The Square Enix Embracer one, it's hard not to come back to that. But like those are significant triple you know triple A West you know well received Western IP and what from good studios. 
suddenly being moved to a different company with the possibility of well, well what they're going to do with them next and so forth because Square is very much kind of sitting on those I've already seen one I've seen at least one headline that said there's a there's thought that I believe Embracer no sorry I just Montreal or whatever they rename to if they do rename is reportedly working on on a Deus Ex I swear I saw there there was some talk of a new thief game don't tease me like that but what I mean is like the, the, these were more shocking M&A deals that in their own way change the layout of the industry train change something even the Netflix ones at the risk of going back to those taking promising indie studios like Night School who made Oxenfree and putting them in a situation where they are now solely or, or you know if not solely if not primarily going to be making games for Netflix and their subscribers like it it I don't remember a year where that many deals changed the industry. You know, at the risk of going back to my previous point of like, you know, Embracer suddenly announcing they're buying fourteen studios. They were usually studios that have already worked with Embracer. Like most of the most of the acquisitions in recent years, um, you know, Sony buying Insomniac because they're a valued partner because they are. It didn't really change the dynamic as such because. They were already working on PlayStation games. They're already best known for PlayStation games, so it made sense for them to become a PlayStation studio. This year, so many of the deals just just got people talking in, in ways that we hadn't seen before. I also think that um, I, you know, I I don't think I've read any particular interview that we've had that necessarily pointed that out to it, but. It's also interesting to see um, all that M and A, M and A activity um, on, on on the back on not back end, but with the quote unquote you know economic uncertainties looming in the background. I also think that's pretty interesting as well, right? Because um, to me, it also seems as if um, just having these different studios and these different type of game offerings under, you know, a certain parent company or umbrella and just having that expertise, um, giving more resources or whatever the deal might be when, when things might be rocky, just to have, you know, a steady release of games that just hit their markets. You know, I, I think that also just made a lot of sense as well on, uh, on that end too. But again, We'll, we'll we'll see what that looks like from um, a more long term kind of deal. Because also while you were talking about this, I was thinking about your recent future uh, speaking um, with uh, the uh, um, the global game CEO of Tencent Games, um, Michelle uh, Liu, about you know what Tencent has been doing, and she has a quote where. Um, where where she says I don't think we're only good at China Asian markets that we um explore our expertise all around the world. So I also think that M and A uh M and A activity has, is also providing, you know, the window, the opportunity, benefits to grow further past and to get into different markets. Um, even by just virtue of having just well established studios who know what they're doing or just giving them more resources so they just grow there and just having that footprint. So I'm also thinking about that as well. More so uh, not in a sense of globalization, but just having the ability to having the footprint there. And I, 
like Brendan said, I think we're on the downturn of, of that. But we'll, we'll see that looks like in the future. So I think it's interesting um, from a prospect of like, okay, now that that's been done, what is that going to look like now going forward with different game releases and what what's being offered? I also thought about while we were talking about this, well, even though it's not necessarily a uh, merging acquisition, but uh, different collaborations, because I, I think we have... Uh, EA and Koei Tecmo and their collaboration of Wild Hearts, you know, I think, are we going to see something like that more often now where that, that to me, that that's practically a competitor to, to Monster Hunter, in my uh, personal opinion, are we going to see more of that where we, we, we see different publishers and um, just putting their resources but, uh, behind developers that know what we're doing, what they're doing, but allowing them to, you know, compete more um with, with games like that because that that to me and there's an extended trailer that that just says that hey we we have enough um uh snuff to 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 handle monster hunter at least that's what it says to me maybe that's what we'll see more of in the future collaborations on that kind of level i i don't know but i i think that might be something you might see more prominently um uh, probably in 2023 yeah let's say um it's it's kind of a strategy that i think it, it's interesting to see the the uh, Tecmo EA collaboration because that that feels like a um, an extension of a strategy that that I've I've seen from you know on on the larger company level um, in in recent years, like particularly Tencent. Uh, it, it, it seems like Tencent has really like the interview um, that James did that you mentioned, Jeffrey. Um, they they want to to branch out beyond like the mobile honor for kings uh, kind of success that they've had, but I mean they've on a corporate level they've been doing that for years. You know they 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 have they bought Supercell and they have a huge stake in Epic. They've they've picked up stakes in so many Western developers over the years that it's like it's seems just like a smart diversification play um, to have to have you know a hand in in whatever genre whatever company whatever region uh, turns out to be successful going forward but I, I think it's interesting to see companies like EA specifically partner uh, with, with Tecmo on just a game um, because that's in the past, that might have seemed like uh, too too small a a business for them to get into, but I the last decade I think has shown us how the right game can be such a massive standalone business uh, and an enduring one for for years and years. That it, it would be interesting to see more collaboration like. Uh, EA and Tecmo are doing on Wild Hearts just as as uh, developers kind of and publishers look at their own strengths and their their own weaknesses and find partners with complementary strengths and weaknesses um, that that would be necessary to kind of create a oh, well maybe not necessary but 
that it, it makes some sense would help create a, a global scale uh, success. Yeah, it's very interesting to see what what's happening as companies branch into different regions or, or f- change their focus on different regions. That You've kind of got it both ways, as you say. You've got EA doing this partnership with Tecmo, bringing an Eastern developed game through a Western publisher. Not that there's as, as, as binary a divide as East and West, but there are there are differences between the markets. And then, as you said, like the, the Tencent and even NetEase, like NetEase is, is doing the same similar thing. Like they're opening more studios over in North America, as is, as has Tencent. They're trying to bring more more titles out, uh, you know, develop more titles and bring more titles out beyond their domestic market. It's just it's interesting to see like the ongoing globalization of the industry, like which it, it's always been a global industry. I'm basically kind of agreeing with you in a long winded way, Brendan, but it's always been a global industry. Uh, it's interesting to see kind of specific shifts in that. Um, so yeah, interesting stuff. That's all we've got time for this week. We're going to be back next Friday with another Playable Futures interview and we're going to be back the following week with our Game of the Year show uh, where we finally get to talk about games that we actually play, which is not something business journalists do a great deal of. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, This podcast can be found on all good podcasting platforms of your choice and you can find more news, insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. (laughs) 